This is the Athlete Mindset Podcast, hosted by Lisa Bontasumi, and it's all about mental health in sports. This podcast is presented and produced by Sports Epreneur, part of the CAS Source Network. This podcast series is a space for conversations with athletes, coaches, practitioners, and stakeholders in sports. And it's where those individuals share their perspectives, experiences, and thoughts on mental health in sports. I am Eric Kazmov, the founder of CAS Source and the creator of Sports Epreneur. And we're hosting the Athlete Mindset Podcast on this platform as I deeply believe these conversations are essential and deserve to be prioritized. If you would like to be featured on this show or one of our many other shows, or if you're looking to create your own content, please reach out to us. You can find us at sportse.io or you can connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter. Lisa Bontasumi is a psychotherapist and mental performance consultant to high-performing athletes at the youth, collegiate, and professional levels. She's the first ever mental health and performance coach for Oakland Roots SC, a men's professional soccer team in the USL. Lisa is the founder and CEO of Ath Mindset, and she's the host of this podcast, Athlete Mindset. Welcome back to another episode of Winning Through Culture. I am here today with my co-host, Amanda Kramer, and our special guest today, Lisa Bonta-Sumi. Lisa, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you. So I'm going to give our audience a little introduction about who you are and why we asked you to join us, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. So Lisa is CEO and founder of an organization called Path Mindset. We'll get into what that means what the organization does, but I think it's important to draw some distinctions out of your background because you are quite accomplished, Lisa. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate that. You're very welcome. We're very honored to have you with us. So I've been a psychotherapist now for 23 years with clinical experience, both in California and Nevada. It's great to have a guest that's three time zones away. Been in a private practice clinician working on mental performance. You've got your own podcast which we might talk about today. You are a professional podcast guest, speaking on a number of different podcasts, a national, international speaker and entrepreneur, which is a great list of accomplishments. And what you do in your work and why we would really interested in having you with us today is you work with a lot of elite, both youth and collegiate athletes. You've worked with Olympians, uh, Olympic hopefuls, professional athletes, coaches, teams, and the entirety of professional sports. You are the first ever mental performance coach for the Oakland Roots Sports Club, which is a new, very cool men's professional soccer team. And you work alongside coaches on the technical team and the sports medicine staff. So you're part of the whole ecosystem of that team. Lisa, you are listed as a U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee mental health registry participant in the NFL Players Association Clinician Directory and Major League Rugby's Mental Health and Wellness Directory. As a direct response to a need, I think it's fair to say, and we'll talk about you've seen today, Lisa, and we certainly have seen why we want to have this podcast. You founded Ath Mindset, which is really a diverse team of sports psychology professionals across several states. Your podcast is the Athlete Mindset Podcast, and you are also a co-host of Roots Radio and a accomplished edX speaker. So again, very accomplished. Also been quoted in Time Magazine, Teen Vogue, Women's Health Magazine, and interviewed in the BBC World News and Radio Bliss Jordan. So got your master's in clinical social work from Smith College School for Social Work and attended UC Santa Barbara as an undergrad. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you for being with us. 
Thank you. And thanks for introducing me. I'm like, wait, who's he talking about? Is that really me? Like, I'm <laughs> so, <laughs> so I appreciate all those highlights. Thank you. Well, I think it's an important introduction in light of the serious conversation we'd love to have today. Yeah, agreed. So I guess let's kind of start maybe with defining mental health and really how do you share, define, put mental health in context? Yeah, thank you for that question. I mean, I'll preface it by, I think a part of me talking about how I view mental health is also talking about how I don't view it. And what I mean by that is, There's so many people, folks, organizations, societies, communities that feel like mental health and mental illness are synonymous. They don't know how to differentiate it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest barriers to having conversations. Like if I'm going to talk about my mental health or ask about someone else's or write something about it, you know, people are already like, oh, mental health means I'm depressed or anxious or have some disability from a mental standpoint, like psychosis or schizophrenia. Those are mental illnesses. But when we talk about mental health, it's simply put that it's how you think, feel, and behave, how you skillfully and with self-awareness manage your stressors, and how you show up to your relationships. That's how I view it. So the more that self-talk and our thoughts are positive, then our emotions will be positive and our behaviors will follow in that positive vein. So Mental health is health. It's a part of our overall health, just like our spiritual health or our financial health. You know, these other things, they all come into the entirety of the human experience. And I think really breaking down what mental health is and it isn't can sometimes be like, oh, wow, like, okay, I can talk about that. Or, you know, the stigma is then decreased a bit when we're able to sort of like just kind of look at it and like take it apart and dispel myths about it. I love the clarity of acting, feeling, behaving, interacting, and coping. I think that's real clear. I won't say simple in the words, but that's not necessarily simple in the actions. Exactly. And the thoughts dictate everything that you just listed, Tim, and we can change how we think. Mm -hmm. We're not robots, so we're going to acknowledge what our initial thought is and then assess, is that something that serves me? Is that thoughts serve me? Is that uplift me? Is that positive towards my own direction? And pause and like, if it's not, then we're going to automatically stop that right then and there and then replace it with a more positive, affirming thought. And that's for a business owner, entrepreneur, athlete, CEO, anybody. You can use this tool and this perspective in any space that you have to perform in. Well, and Lisa, Tim mentioned in your introduction to being part of our podcast today about the work that you've done to achieve optimal mental health and peak mental sports performance. So honestly, you help build leaders, right? And this podcast is directed at helping entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders in all categories really create an intentional culture with their teams, with their organization, whatever terminology you want to lead. And I think you brought up a good point that there definitely is a distinction between having a dialogue around mental health versus the mental illness conversation that might Mm -hmm. come up. So through your work so far, what are some of the breakthroughs that you've had in the facilities and the organizations that you've been a part of that have really helped form how leaders can have conversations about mental health in those that four kind of part category that you just identified in? Have you seen anything that you're like, oh my goodness, like (laughs) this was that moment, that aha? Yes and no. 
I mean, I think that I measure ahas like very simply, and it doesn't take a lot for me to be ahad. <laughs> like when I witness I'm in the presence of the person I'm working with and they have an aha moment, that's when I have an aha moment. And that, whoa, like somehow I had an impact for them to see themselves in that different way that I feel like I'm done for the day, like I'm good. But I think what I've been learning over and over again is that athletes want to be seen and acknowledged as humans, that they have feelings, emotions, they go through tough times just like we do. And it's sometimes really hard when they're only seen as a commodity or an object to perform and produce. So I have an aha moment when my players or the people I'm working with are like, that's really how I want to be seen. And I don't know how to communicate that. And then us figuring out how to do that in a way that's empowering for them. I think other ones are like, I talked to like professional men, athletes who are saying, I want to be vulnerable and I want to be able to do that. I'm still figuring out where I know it benefits me. I don't know who to be vulnerable with. I'm scared still. Like, I feel like people might see me as weak or like take advantage of it. Mm. So practicing that discernment about where you express yourself and how is also a big, important one. I think them realizing that this whole piece of there's mental health and mental performance, I believe that how you mentally perform in your sphere helps overall mental health. I mean, the only reason why it's differentiated is because it's two different professions who help with both sides. Mental performance is how you perform in your sport as a mental performance coach in pro athletics. And so we call those like (laughs) on the roots, we call those soccer talks, anything about performance on the field. Then we have life talks are about like, oh, shoot, I just had a baby. I'm trying to manage my sleep. I'm trying to manage how that then impacts how I play and like how I show up to my new baby and my wife or my girlfriend. Or I've just immigrated from another country to come here. I don't know the language, but I'm here to play. And like those stressors and impacts in life are going to impact how someone shows up on the field and helping them make connections and giving them perspectives, tools, and skills like that. Like people sometimes wonder, oh, like it's obvious that if I'm not a healthy human, I'm not going to perform at my best in life and thus not on the field. But integrating that it's the mental health as well as the physical health. And that it's all connected. Yeah, it's the complete person. So you work with athletes every single day. Many of our listeners, it's not the same, but from a standpoint of a community, you have athletes that are in the community that you're serving. For a leader, they have employees or associates or producers or lots of different terminologies used for that that are part of their community. Mm -hmm. And at the end of it, everybody just wants to be recognized that they are human that we all have the ability and capacity to succeed and struggle with the same set of circumstances or abilities. And so it's neat that you said it in that way. And I think there's a lot of parallels between being in the sports arena or realm and then in the business realm too, that they're at the end of it, we're all human and we're working towards being the best version of ourselves and how we incorporate mental health into that is a really an important dialogue. In May, I think it gives us a great opportunity to have those conversations, especially for organizations, leaders that maybe have not broached the subject of mental health and how that impacts the environment in which they have created for success of, and we would call it a club, right? Or a business, a firm, et cetera. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the beauty of it. Like the way we talk about the skills and tools 
as relevant to the human who's sitting in front of us or we're talking to on the field like I was this morning. It, it applies to their area of their sphere. Like, is it the business room, you know, the meeting room, the conference room? Is it the field? Is it, where are you? Is it out in war? Like, where are you performing and have to regulate yourself and your emotions under high performance situations? Yeah. So as an entrepreneur and business owner myself, alongside being a mental performance coach, I think about that all the time. And how does my humanity show up in the different identities that I have as a woman, as a wife, as a mother? being the only woman a lot of times at the facility with this professional men's team, being a woman of color, how do my identities show up and how do I make sure I'm equitable and how that shows up? Like how many hours am I spending working on my business and working in my business is always my question. Lisa, I've got a question for you. I think one of the things that's always been interesting to me is there's an assumption, at least from my vantage point in professional sports, that if you're operating at a high level, you're going to have a performance coach or coaches. Mm. And yet the flip side in the business world is there's almost a, I mean, there are obviously business coaches that work with business leaders, but you just don't seem, I have not seen the same kind of approach in business where people say, you know what, I need somebody to help me operate at a high level mentally the same way if I'm a professional athlete, I would. There's just that. It's just been all very curious, interesting thing to me over the years. And, you know, whether it's in pro golf or any team sport, most high level elite players have, obviously, they may have a coach specific to the skills of their sport. Uh I think most of them, at least my impression, you can correct me if I'm wrong, have a mental performance coach. And yet you just don't see that in business as much. Why? I'm curious as to why you think that might be. Well, it's interesting. I don't know if every athlete who performs at a high level has a mental performance coach. I feel like if they consistently do it, Mm -hmm. if they're able to perform at a high level consistently, game after game, season after season, year after year. I mean, we could talk about LeBron James all we want. And he does have a mental performance coach. He does value the mental side of his, how he performs in his job, which is on the court. Mm -hmm. But it takes not only having a coach, but also following your mental training plan, just like you would from your physical performance coach or your athletic trainer, like following it and training on it just as you would to prevent mental injury, just like we prevent physical injury, to assess what's going on, to give skills and tools, to train on those consistently. Because I think there's still, you know, stigma in professional sports about what we call it. I mean, there's been a movement that, you know, a lot of teams and organizations now need to have at least one person on staff who can care for the mental well-being of their athletes. But then we times that by how many players on that team, how many in that organization, you know, can't is there bandwidth for that, right? Yeah. I think a business coach could help with the mental side of CEOs and entrepreneurs if they're trained and have expertise in that area and know how to build it. Because like, even if a business coach helps you, let's say, with a one-year, three-year, or five-year plan, right? Mm -hmm. Within those plans, there are goals that we set, right? And setting goals helps with the development of mental skills of motivation and confidence. So if the goals are set properly in the form of process goals versus outcome goals, 
that's mental training right there. Mm -hmm. And then being able to like set a very measurable and the smart goal format goal that then you can check off. The brain likes that very healthy, clean form of dopamine coming in. And then like, oh, whoa, this feels good. I'm going to keep going. What's next on my list? I'm going to keep checking it off. And there's that feedback loop, right? And so there's a way that we can utilize business coaches in the entrepreneurial world and performance coaches for sure. There's stigma on both sides, right? But if we can use the right language and break it down, then I think it would be more acceptable and accessible to people. So what are some of the challenges? Because you just said, right, from an accessibility of having dialogue in this space, like what are some of the roadblocks or challenges you've seen individuals, no matter their identities, right, the hat that they're currently wearing, that they have faced? Like how to really say, I'm coming to this place to have this dialogue and I might be faced with X, Y, and Z challenge, but here's how I would move through that. What have you seen be successful when someone is ready to discuss and implement having that mental health awareness conversation? I mean, I think how I view it is to have like a dedicated mental performance coach or therapist helping you is actually inviting another positive, healthy relationship into your life. That's what that is. Who is dedicated to you and only you. I think that I can teach you all kinds of skills and tools and have strategies and perspectives, but if the connection, there's no relationship, there's no trust, there's no rapport, and it's not as impactful. So I think building a relationship is really, really important at the forefront. I work with a lot of collegiate athletes too, and I think being able to relate to their culture because it's unique in that generation, use certain words, be able to understand some of the slang and references and not be embarrassed to ask like, oh, wait, I don't know that one. (laughs) Hit me on that one, please. Or something like that, that there's a relatability, which is, I think is super important. And that's a skill for those of us who are in the coaching and therapy kind of identities. Once that's established, I think it's really the biggest thing. And I'm just going to say it is the funding to continue that relationship. What is the economic support behind having someone like myself in your corner or in your life or on your team. It's something that I deal with all the time. Like, oh, we have this budget or we don't have that budget or we're going to have to cease this kind of work in the middle of the work, which then becomes an ethical issue as far as I'm concerned. Like to stop it just because of money, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. So like companies being able to delegate funds towards, is it like, hiring a business coach for the company and then everybody gets this many sessions for it? Is it that we are going to entertain a flexible work week, which helps a lot in people's mental health? Is it going to be hybrid, in-person or virtual? Is it flexible as far as when you start and to drop off kids or things like that and then when you end? Like having that collaborative conversation so that the employees can have something to say about what works best for them and their mental health and their lives. Like the collaborative, I think collaborative is really key too. And not just, I'm going to dictate this is how it goes, like it or leave it. But like including your employees' insights and thoughts about what works for them and trying to do your best, knowing that you can't meet that exactly all the time. But knowing that you're hearing, listening, that each of your employees is different and have different needs is, I think, really, really big part of you prioritizing the mental health and overall being of the people who are 
working for you and keeping them, you know, keeping them on board and keeping them happy is really, really important. Will you take a step back from that? And I do agree with you, Lisa, that it's an investment. I think if and business looks at it as an expense, they're going to get in trouble because it's an investment in their people. And yeah, I think you have to look at it through that lens and what is that worth? And I know it may be difficult to quantify, but taking a step back from that, what do you see as some of the productive ways to even get this conversation going in a business setting? On the business end, I mean, I think just asking how your people are, mm-hmm. debriefing from a project or a talk or a, like, how are you with that? How did you feel about that? What are some areas that you need support from us to continue to be your best in that? Really asking them how they feel and acknowledging them when they do a good job or when they complete something. Appreciation, acknowledgement goes a long way because your employees are not, again, just like the athlete, just commodities and objects that help you get the job done to move your business forward. They're human too. Asking them about their families, how are things going, like, Building that rapport and that relationship and letting them feel like you care about who they are. I mean, in the end, like you said, Tim, it's an investment. They're going to work harder for you and be more loyal when you are able to connect with them and see them as beyond their employee. So it doesn't have to be this like, how is your mental health? It doesn't have to be, I mean, that's a a big question, right? And it's like, what What do you mean? Like, who are you? Like, I don't know. Where is this going? (laughs) Yeah. It's just like, how are you? How's it going? I mean, myself and some of my friends, we do the roses and thorns. Like, what was your rose for the week? What was your thorn? How can you blossom, you know, and change your thorn into a rose next week? Something like that. Or like, hey, share with me your goals for the week. I want to be able to like celebrate you when you complete them. Things like that, giving them space, like giving them an extended lunch if they wanted to take a walk or do a yoga class or meditate in the middle of their work day. So then then they maybe like stay a little later, like these little things that like, oh, shoot, that is a little thing that can go a long way in the investment of our people. So it doesn't have to be a big intimidating conversation. I think that's the reason why a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs don't ask it or don't know how to approach it, but it doesn't have to be. It can be simple and it's the sincerity and meaning behind it. I think, in your heart behind it, that really matters. You brought up a really good point. And so we pull on the experiences of our daily life, Tim and I do as part of content, right, for this podcast and just sharing that with the world. And hopefully listeners can take a piece away from it and impact those that are around them. But one of the things that we instituted several years ago was around having the opportunity for someone to have a culture feedback conversation. So what are the things that you see that are going well that we should continue as an organization or a team or as a leadership organization? What are some of the things that you feel we should potentially put up for consideration on pausing or stopping? And then the one piece that really shifted, and you just mentioned this, we started to ask, and I actually conduct these. So I started to ask, what does appreciation and acknowledgement look like for you? Because every single person, and I'm assuming you would probably feel the same from an athlete standpoint, every person likes to receive their recognition differently and or appreciation can come in varying forms. Sometimes it is a one-on-one acknowledgement, more of a private conversation. Sometimes it's somebody who wants like a grandiose in front of the entire organization. That's what means the most to them. Some of the individuals would, you know, a spot bonus or some type of incentive that's different. 
So that's been really eye-opening to figure out and sit down and say, okay, so this person actually puts more value on how we share that celebration and that acknowledgement based on their own set of circumstances and how they're built. It's a cool discussion to have, and it's a nice way to enter into that mental health space if someone is not comfortable as a leader or uh, part of an organization to sit there and say, okay, how is your mental health? That is a leading question, I think. But there are some small ways you can go about it that really do acknowledge how much you care and how much you're willing to be vulnerable in that and adjust how the end result ends up happening to meet the needs of that person that's sitting in front of you. No, that's amazing. I love it. I love hearing that. And I think it's so important that not every human's created equal, not every employee's created equal and how they like to be communicated to in general. Right. I think, Amanda, you sharing what you all have done in different organizations and your organization about building a winning culture is key around like, how does acknowledgement and appreciation land for each individual human who likes to receive it differently? And what I like to use as a simple tool too, it was interesting is like, what is your love language? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, love can be any kind of love, any kind of appreciation. It doesn't have to be romantic love, right? Absolutely. So it could be verbal appreciation. It could be gifts. Acts of service. It could be quality time, acts of service. You know, exactly. Like, what does your employee, what would they respond to the most and be the most impactful in figuring out, like, how you show that? Love, acknowledgement, appreciation. So that's super cool that you guys do that. It's definitely an evolution. You know, we started with a series of questions and then we have evolved as we've gotten better at having those individualized dialogues, right? And making sure that the space is there for somebody to share. And I always like to say the good, the bad, and the ugly. I want to hear it all. I can't do anything about it if you don't share what's going on. But you have to, as you articulated earlier, you have to have that relational capital, that bank account where they know that you are building that with that individual. So in the event that you do go to them and ask for something, it's not seen as detrimental in any way, shape, or form. It's really like, okay, this person has shown their investment in me. And this organization has shown how deeply they care about me as an individual, not necessarily the title that I have. And then the reciprocal experience is just so much better. You really get the data almost that you need in order to have meaningful change, especially as you're working to build and form and continuously evolve the culture that is in your team, your whatever word you want to use there. Right, right. Yeah, your group, your team, definitely. Yeah. There's an old adage of people don't care how much you know until they know how much you Mm -hmm. care. Mm -hmm. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah. Lisa, I, I do appreciate what you shared relative to kind of how to broach the subject in a business setting, because again, it's coming in hot and saying, hey, we're going to have a conversation today with everybody about their mental health is going to rattle some folks and really send the wrong message, but really just taking the time to understand where everybody is, how everybody's doing and what's going on in their life, which we all know requires slowing down in a fast paced world to connect and to listen, truly listen, not just passing in the hallway listening. Are there any other tips, suggestions you have for business owners when you think about the topic of attending to your team, your businesses, employees, mental well-being, mental performance? No, I think you kind of answered 
the question a little bit for me, but I'll go into it about like being able to slow down, mm-hmm. being able to pause and be mindful about your culture, about your work environment, workspace, the relationships, what might be going on for people, asking how they're doing, all that stuff. But I think that a lot of the tools that I use are universal, can help anyone in any situation, are transferable from sport to life to business. I really like imagery or mental rehearsal. So it's like more of a five, six D approach to visualization. So it's not just seeing what you want to experience, but feeling it from an emotional tactile perspective, hearing it, tasting it, all your senses, bringing it all in and imagining how you want your workspace to be, your work culture to be, your work, you know, productivity to be, your work performance to be, and really putting a script, like writing out that image, like a scene from a movie, as detailed as possible. And the mental training is reading that script as often as you can, or recording your own voice, reading it and then playing it, writing excerpts of it around and putting it up in your, on your computer, on your bathroom, on your dashboard, wherever, in your phone, and like really bombarding, I don't know if that's the best word, bombarding your brain with the image that you want it to stick with. And when it, the image goes away or you're like not behaving in the way that you're mentally rehearsing, making that shift and that pivot to come back. The real imprint onto your mental. Exactly. That's a good one. Imprint. It imprints on your brain. Your brain, it sticks to it and it's starting to now function in your favor. We can create how our brain works for us. If left to its own devices, it's going to take us down roads we don't want to go. But it's malleable and wants to be optimized. So we need to give it that feedback. I think routines are really important too. Like with my players, what is your pre competition and post-competition routine? What is your preparation? And then your debriefing process. That's really what it is. How do you prepare for this next match coming up? What is unique to you? What meaning do you put to each act or behavior in that preparation? Everybody does it differently, but to have a routine that's pretty much the same every time is super important because in business, in entrepreneurship, in sports, there's a lot we don't have control over. But Setting your routine, committing to it is a big part of how we can control what that piece of things. The debrief is also really important, that post-competition routine. How are you starting from a mental standpoint to already recover once the whistle is blown? Is that in the form of physical recovery with hydration right away? Or is it like after I take a shower or do an ice bath or something, I'm going to write a few things in my sports journal about my performance tonight? Later could be tonight or the next day as well. Like again, roses and thorns, or what are the areas that I feel really proud of or how I contributed to my team? What are the other areas that I want to continue to grow in and continue to improve in? And then tracking that, tracking that. Like these are the ways I'm going to be better here and the areas of support I need to execute that. Again, it can be applied to any environment, but that reflective process is also really, really important and providing your employees the opportunity to have that time, I think would really show the value that you have in them continuing to grow and stretch from a mental standpoint. Do you have any advice for leaders who might be in the moment and they need to check in with themselves on their mental health? Because, you know, you're in a a stressful meeting, you're in a situation, I can think of several, and I'm like, 
cool. So how do I check in with myself? So I show up with that image that I've imprinted on my brain. I know this is how I want to come across, but right at this second, I know I'm not going to show up like that. What are some things that a leader, a person in general, human could do to check in with themselves? For sure. It's a great question. I think Tim alluded to earlier, you know, like the mindfulness act, but like a breath, an intentional breath. When you can just kind of like, okay, I'm feeling my emotions regulate. I feel like my heartbeat is beating too fast or my thoughts aren't as clear as I want them to be in this moment. Just like, and then move on. Yeah. The breath does a lot to regulate the brain and the emotions. It gives the brain the message that everything's okay. Because when we're breathing up here, it's like the fight or flight or freeze response. And it's not getting basically enough oxygen to your brain to function in that moment. When we're able to be like, no, I'm going to interrupt that. I'm not going to breathe like that. I'm going to, the brain's like, oh, okay, she's on it. Like she knows what she's doing right now. She's calming us down. Then blood pressure goes down. Heart rate goes down. We're calmer. Our faculties, our mental faculties are more available to then execute in the moment. And I think there's also this piece like, you know, you're in a meeting or you're in a game. Like, you don't have to be perfect. That's the humanity of it, too. It's like, hey, everybody take a two-minute break. Let's all just kind of like get up, stretch, and come back down, and then we're going to regroup. Like, you don't have to push through it and <laughs> feel like, oh, if I'm not perfect, they're going to think I'm bloody blood. But that's the self-talk, right? Right. Positive self-talk. I'm human. I'm allowed to take a break. I'm allowed to take a breath. And I'm modeling for other leaders and the people who work for me that that's an okay thing to do. Yeah. Right? To pivot is a big one. Pivot, change directions, come back to center, all of that. Like the pressure to always meet everybody's expectations and your own, which is probably the highest demand to this. I can crack a joke right now. I can take a breath. I can get up. I can stand up. I can turn around. I can yell. I can cheer, like whatever. And then everybody comes back and then like you break the ice and like, oh, okay, cool. We're good. Let's move on. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Well, I think there's a lot we've discussed today, Lisa that even in the context of athletes as an entrepreneur or business owner is extremely applicable. And, you know, I know the context of a lot of what we discussed today is around mental health, which really is the performance back to your earlier comments about our, what we think about, which leads us to what we act, feel, behave and interact, cope, and ultimately get results with. And so much of that, obviously, starts with our internal dialogue and what we tell ourselves and then printing that imagery of what we want versus reacting to the world around us and just being a reactionary being versus a human being. Absolutely. And I think that like being easy on ourselves, having that compassion and grace that we're all doing the best that we can and that we're all taking personal reflective inventory on like how we can always be better and like giving our employees space to do that. I think gratitudes are underrated. And I think people who, you know, oh, what are you grateful for? It's like, ah, oh, you're kind of getting me a little bit granola and like too touchy-feely on that one. Like, what? Grateful? But like gratitudes do a lot for our overall well-being, not just our mental health. Like it helps regulate anxiety, stress. It helps keep depression and anxiety at bay, but it also actually helps the immune system, believe it or not, mm -hmm. to express your gratitudes doesn't matter what you're grateful for, but that you express them. And if you do it to a person or to a group, everybody gets those same benefits as well as you. So 
that could help the culture in so many ways. Sometimes I have talked to my captains on different teams, like, hey, like, put that gratitude jar in the locker room. So, and then as leaders and captains, put in every week, maybe five to 10 things you're grateful for. And then everybody like gets to go in there and pick it up every now and then read it. And then maybe they like want to write something on the back and add to it or add another one. But again, when you write them and someone reads them, same outcome. If you say them out loud, same outcome. So that can be a cool way to start a meeting, end a meeting, et cetera. So there's so many ways that we can uplift the mental health of ourselves and model that. And for our team, whatever kind of team might be from a business or athletic perspective, but all these things add up and they all send a message that you as a leader value the overall well-being of a person that you know physical and mental health coincide with one another. They're all connected. And so when you're able to speak to that and put in policy and procedure around it, then you become a mentally healthy organization, which is what, you know, we all should be striving to be. Agreed. Yeah, I, I love your gratitude journal. I mean, I think that's something I know I do every day. And as I was listening to you talk again about an athlete with a pregame routine, as a business owner, an entrepreneur, your day starts. It should start with a pre-day, pre-game routine and end with a debrief and or decompression in a healthy way <laughs> at the end of the day. So, <laughs> yeah, again, that's what I was so fascinated about getting this chance to do this podcast with you is the applicability of so many of the things that, you know, everybody loves to watch professional sports, everybody's got their sport and see these athletes perform at such a high level. And yet so much of that is obviously the physicality of professional sports at the professional level, everybody's got to have it. It's the mental edge that makes the difference in so many sports. And all of that is applicable to business. So I've enjoyed our time together. And I want to say thank you again from Amanda and I. I think uh, everything we talked about today really does help inform a winning culture and helps a business leader and entrepreneur be relevant and impactful. And that's the whole purpose of this podcast. So you have done a fantastic job today, Lisa, helping us articulate that message. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. I always love the opportunity. And I know that a lot of the skills that my professional high-performing athletes use are transferable into business, into entrepreneurship, and into their next chapter of their lives once they retire or leave voluntarily or involuntarily from their sport. Mm -hmm. They need to realize that the skills they've been practicing already in their sport are attractive to corporate America, are attractive to entrepreneurs, leaders, people who are going to hire them one day. So I think the conversation that they're transferable, that they're applicable is always an important one. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, we're wrapping up another episode of Winning Through Culture here today with my co-host, Amanda Kramer, and our special guest, Lisa Fanta Sumi. Thank you very much for your time today. So we are together again, be impactful and relevant. Athlete Mindset is part of the CASORS Podcast Network. At CASource, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're growing this one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you by searching CASource on your social media app of choice. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network, the CASource Podcast Network.